0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name's uh, I'm Anna Sue. I'm a faculty member at the um, at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. Um, I'm here to talk a little bit about religion and religious liberty during this pandemic. So um, the mass deaths around us all over the world due to COVID has really forced us to on uh, has forced on us a crisis of spirit. a reckoning with life's most intimate questions about how we live, about how we die. And as a recent uh, article put it, this very microscopic particle has laid bare human mortality. You have nations shut down, millions sick, more than 300,000 people dead. Uh, Religion, of course, is one of those things that people turn to in times of uncertainty and suffering. The people experiencing grief, despair and suffering and contemplating death, religion provides solace in terms of rituals and a need for narrative and meaning. When this pandemic caused a worldwide uh, lockdown of varying degrees all over the world uh, last March, with many of them in fact still ongoing up to now, it put a pause on many religious services such as masses, funerals, um, as well as uh, it curtailed celebrations of major holidays. In an unprecedented step, for example, um, Saudi Arabia suspended pilgrimages to the holy sites of Islam. Some 2 million people usually flock to the cities of Mecca and Medina around this time, all the way up to the middle of the summer. Even the most recent Ramadan was one of a kind. Travel, collective prayers, and other kinds of communal gatherings have been banned by many governments. The Church of Nativity in Bethlehem was closed, and Lenten and Easter celebrations, um, in many ways, did not take place. Right? So who could forget the striking image of Pope Francis giving his annual Easter address to an empty St. Peter's Basilica. Now, for many religious traditions, gathering for worship is not just a suggestion. It's, not, uh, it's some, not something that is just nice to have. So some Jewish practices, for example, require groups of 10, um, Muslims consider Friday's congregational prayer, one of their most important and Catholics celebrate the Eucharist together during mass. As with everything else in this pandemic, many things that we normally conduct in person has moved online because of restrictions and mass gatherings so baptisms masses weddings um, funerals are now done online over zoom. The the video uh, conferencing application of choice in this current uh, climate. And in the face of public health imperatives, many have resigned to availing of the second best efforts to sustain spiritual needs. But in some jurisdictions, particularly in the United States, this new patchwork of state and local policies designed to flatten the curve and slow the spread of the coronavirus has now become another touchstone in a broader culture war. And so cases have been filed by many churches arguing that government restrictions on church openings were a violation of their constitutional rights. Now, there are two things that I want to focus on today. The first is, I want to discuss one argument in these cases filed by churches in, US in the United States and Europe. How, do they hold, how does this argument hold legally and politically, given what we have learned from public health experts? In addition, given how fast things are changing or developing around us, some arguments that were made in cases filed in late April, for example, uh, might no longer be applicable when made in late March or late May. Indeed, this is one of the uh, arguments that were were being directed against a decision of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, issued last May 29. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, secondly, I also want to talk about the issue of what happens going forward, right? What does this pandemic mean for how we turn to religion as a society? And how should our governments and public authorities facilitate that? The premise, of course, that is that we are not only creatures of material needs, but also spiritual beings. Now, I want you to consider the case that was filed by the South Bay United Pentecostal Church to stop the enforcement of a California executive order that places temporary restrictions that limit the attendance of places of worship to 25% of uh, usually 25% of building capacity or a maximum number of 100 attendees. The church argued that the constitution prohibits the state from continuing to restrict churches when it has allowed various businesses to open up uh, during uh, at this point in the Pandemic. Um, in that opinion that was just issued last uh, about two weeks ago, Chief Justice uh, John Roberts of the US Supreme Court noted that the question of when restrictions on social activities. Could be lifted is a dynamic in fact intensive matter subject to reasonable disagreement and that the Constitution principally entrusts the safety and health of the people. Uh, to the politically accountable officials of the states to guard and protect as such. Given that similar restrictions apply to comparative, or to comparable, I mean, secular gatherings, such as concerts, movies, uh, movie showing, spectator sports, and theatrical performances, this is not a matter of disfavoring religion in violation of the Constitution or the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. In other words, most of the churches that challenge state restrictions argue that churches and other religious institutions are being unfairly t- targeted uh, compared to other secular places. For example, in the New York Times um, op ed uh, last April, uh, American legal scholars Michael McConnell and Mac- Max Raskin argued that the government may regulate religious activities, no more strictly than it regulates secular activities that present comparable risks. If we can permit drive through legal stores, or allow people inside bigger stores to produce capacities, then so can we allow worship. Now, this is not just an American phenomenon, although most of the cases have been filed in the United States. In Europe, um, last, last month as well, a French court ordered the government to lift the ban on gatherings at places of worship as a measure to combat spread of COVID, describing it as a disproportionate uh, as a disproportionate infringement on a fundamental right. Now, the, judge, the French judge in this case uh, highlighted that the government authorized public gatherings of up to 10 people in other settings. Um, it highlighted that in compare, compared to the blanket ban um, on worship and therefore this whole setup is uh, arbitrary and does not really address the objective of protecting public health. Now, I should just note that, of course, scientific evidence already makes clear that places of worship, like other places with mass gatherings and people in close proximity to one another, should limit these assemblies. In Germany, 107 people, for example, were infected from a church service, even with social distancing measures in place. In South Korea, one gathering at a church sparked more than 5,000 cases. So because of the way that current religious worship services are conducted, for example, uh, choir singing, right? Choir singing is considered to be high risk, and therefore, uh, going to church is not analogous to, say, going to banks or groceries where people often go to certain things, but they don't linger in the same place for very long. Uh, moreover, I should also note that while a number of churches in the United States have filed cases against restrictions, An even greater number of other religious places of worship has followed government shutdown orders. Nonetheless, I think it is worthy to look why there was such a debate around church closures. Right. While religious liberty is a fundamental constitutional right in many jurisdictions, a common theme across them is that these rights are often balanced against compelling public interests, of which securing public health is clearly one of them. The legal framework in these cases are designed for this very purpose. For example, in the United States, if a church wants to challenge a shutdown order, there's a slight difference between um, if it's a federal or a state uh, shutdown order, but we'll leave that aside for now. The government that would need to meet this challenge by articulating a compelling interest and, and to show that the challenge measure would need to be narrowly tailored, right? and that it is, the, it is in the least restrictive means towards achieving or accomplishing that interest. Now, while that is the high standard, that is clearly met in this case, right? Or at least in the initial stages of the pandemic, say, late March, early April. As state governments have begun to face reopenings of various establishments, however, and with more information available regarding infection risks, harm reduction measures um, churches have argued that they were being unfairly targeted, right? Even though they were observing harm reduction measures such as power distancing and limiting the number of people which can enter the building. In a town in uh, southern Ontario in Canada, police tried to interrupt a drive in uh, church service that would be done outdoors, even though there was no crowd and all the church members who showed up were uh, inside their vehicles. Right? A very similar thing happened in Kentucky in the United States. A court, this time they challenged, uh, the church uh, actually challenged um, the ban, and the court in Kentucky allowed a drive-in Easter service to take place with cars six feet apart from one another, noting that um, the court even noted that if beer is essential, then so is Easter. Now, the main question, of course, uh, the main question that, that emerges from these cases is, um, is one of equal treatment and sometimes selective enforcement. Right? So last week, we've seen an eruption of anti-racism and anti-police uh, brutality protests in many cities around the world. Right? In these protests, we've clearly seen people in very close proximity uh, with each other, sometimes with, but sometimes without masks. And with this picture in mind, it thus becomes harder to argue that church closures, the ongoing church closures, and bans on congregational worship um, should continue. Moreover, bans in some senses are, uh, in certain contexts, are also somewhat subjective. New York, for example, the state of New York categorizes collective worship as non essential. But as I mentioned earlier, as other establishments are allowed to open in the past few weeks, It is reasonable to expect churches to argue against this characterization. For some, it might be easier to argue that worship services can always be done online, and therefore physical gatherings might not be as essential as, say, going to the grocery But who can can make that judgment? And uh, what counts as life-sustaining some might be different to another. Now, most of the lawsuits in the United States by the way, have been brought by churches with a non, with so-called non-hierarchical structure. Right? So um, it's very easy, for example, for um, Catholic bishops to keep like individual church ch- churches or parishes in line with the decision of the hierarchy. Although Catholic churches have also been in the picture here. In late April in Italy, the Catholic Church um, accused the government, for example of arbitrarily excluding masses from its reopening timetable. Just last week, in Madison, Wisconsin, county officials came up with new restrictions on houses of worship, capping them at 50 people per service, regardless of the size of the building. Um, The Roman Catholic diocese in that same area argued that this would, in effect, allow malls and theaters to open, with more people in it than, say, churches. And of course, I mean, between malls and churches, it might be um, a no-brainer for some people to say which one is more important. And so two days after complaints, county officials, um, I think this is as recent as June 5th, last Friday, county officials backed off from the new restrictions. Which brings me to my second point, Uh, what do we do now? The good news is that for thousands of years, soldiers, missionaries, have had to improvise their worship gatherings in these extraordinary times. right? Given our new reality, until at least um, a vaccine emerges, um, both governments and religious groups would have to reasonably accommodate each other in compromise. Some of these compromises are already happening. These, for example, have been given permission to give last rights, so-called last, uh, last rights to people dying in hospitals for as long as they wear the proper personal protective equipment. There should be no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to restrictions, and make no mistake about it, there has to be restrictions, but it's important to avoid conveying the impression that collective worship or congregational gathering is a luxury good only to be enjoyed during normal times, or one that can be relegated to online meetings. For many people, this kind of spiritual solidarity is so much more important in these times of crisis and uncertainty, and public health can clearly go beyond physical health so as to encompass also emotional and spiritual well-being. Now, going forward, some religious communities have already modified their practices, such as putting services online. Churches have been open for private prayer restricted number of people are now allowed inside these churches. Sanitizers, for example, are now very commonplace. Um, you know, I did a, bit, a brief uh, survey um, at what some of the religious, uh, what some of these religious institutions have been doing at the moment. And one of the biggest uh, changes is that now we find sanitizers uh, at the entrance of churches and mosques. For Jewish uh, make or ritual baths in Toronto, for example, preparations have to be done at home. I mean, uh, some of the Jewish um, um, uh, some of the Jewish leaders have tried to uh, prescribe certain uh, best practices, so everyone has to come in with their own supplies and to these facilities being cleaned regularly. Private religious services have also now been allowed in some provinces in Canada and. Um, in Australia, you know, even funerals are now being outlawed. So these are some of the things that um, I think are going to be uh, part of uh, of uh, what religious practice would look like in the COVID and even in the post-COVID uh, period after to the vaccine. And as we adjust to this new normal, it's perhaps useful to think about what our ancestors did or what, you know, what our predecessors did for during uh, a very similar time in history, and that's during the 1918 Spanish flu um, pandemic, right? Um, If you take a look at the newspaper clippings from that period, uh, it was so striking to me that what happened then were very much similar. Striking or maybe depressing that what happened then were very much similar to debates and concerns that we're still having at the moment. So for example, there were reports of pastors discussing closing of churches, clergymen protesting against closures and arguing that prayer was most necessary in this time against the flu and that closures simply weakened the people's morale. Um, Many churches also at at that time have canceled services because of public safety warnings. A rector at at the physical church complained, for, for instance, that churches were closed while pool halls were made open, right? A Catholic priest um, even questioned why stores, saloons, markets were open while churches were closed. All worship services in, were canceled in Boston, for example, for the entire month of September in 1918. In Detroit, Roman, the Roman Catholic bishop at the, in, in that place pleaded for these bans to be lifted with restrictions like... Um, 45 minute services, shorter sermons, ejections for people, ejecting people from from services uh, for people that were showing symptoms and for those who are not wearing masks, or not wearing masks. In Alabama, for example, um, local newspapers featured many religious leaders uh, who viewed the closures as necessary and encouraged their followers to become closer to God at home during these difficult times. For example, uh, they urged them to make use of devotional materials, books, or pamphlets. In Los Angeles, many churches combined with closures, and in fact, government officials even asked religious leaders at that time for, uh, for their help to stop misinformation and stereotyping during the flu amidst arising racism and xenophobia at that time. And it's also not just in the United States. In Spain, for example, a Catholic, church, um, Catholic Church authorities also clashed with their counterpart in the government on the issue of church restrictions. Now, today, we know a bit more about the science around outbreaks. We know the distancing works. Um, for instance, um, so far as religious communities are concerned, I wanted to quote a Dominican theologian, Father Thomas Joseph White, wrote this paragraph in the magazine First Things um, in a message directed specifically to Christians who are inclined to rebel against the quarantine that have closed so many churches. He wrote, he wrote that there's a religious duty to interpret the present moment, not just to seek to endure it or escape it. He wrote, what does it mean that God has permitted or will, temporary conditions in which our elite lifestyle of international travel is grounded, our consumption is cut to a minimum, our days are occupied with basic responsibilities toward our families and immediate communities, our resources and economic hopes are reduced, and we are made more dependent upon one another. What does it mean that our nation states suddenly seem less potent and our armies are infected by an invisible contagion we cannot eradicate, and that the most technologically advanced countries face the humility of their limits. We might think none of this tells us anything about ourselves or about God's compassion and justice. But if we simply seek to pass through all this in hasty expectation of a return to normal, perhaps we are missing the fundamental point of this exercise. Another uh, a French bishop, uh, Matthew Ruge, who was who is in charge of coordinating church fieldings in France, said that religions must take the rightful place to contribute to the renewal of the country after the crisis, and that includes taking into account public health evidence. And so far as government officials are concerned, there has to be more creative uh, creativity involved in coming up with tailored arrangements and allow people to practice their faith to the maximum extent possible, while still minimizing the dangerous those activities posed to the public. The law, I mean, the Constitution, right, in many places, have very, um, already provides a framework for this balancing exercise for, in order for reasonable accommodations to take place and be possible. The last thing that we want is to make this a zero-sum culture war game between Religious freedom on the one hand, and public health on the other. We need both more than ever for our respective societies so, uh, you, um, for new ones. So, thank you for thank uh, you for listening and uh, for um, um, logging in to watch this presentation. And uh, I hope that if you have any questions, I'll be happy to uh, answer them in whatever format. And I hope to learn something. Um, uh, on this very brief uh, presentation.